It's your neighbors, Jim and Joanna Sanders. Yeah, we made you some Easter eggs. We sure did. Yeah. Hey, since you're the man of the house, I want to come talk to you mono e mano. Oh. <laughs> See what he did there? You're a man. Words. Whoa, 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 whoa. Just take a minute. I don't want to take away from that pagan golf tournament that you're probably watching in there. But it did hit me when I saw the trashy secular Easter decorations that you have outside your house that you probably don't go to church to worship our Lord and Savior except for Christmas and Easter like 68.7% of the rest of the American population. Oh, you're my little man. None for the neighbors stay on track. <laughs> oh, oh, well, the reason why we're here is because we wanted to invite you to our Easter services at our church. Now, I've made the plan of salvation into these Easter eggs here, and each color represents something you've done wrong. What my dear wife is trying to say, when we leave on a Sunday morning to go to church, your car stays out in the driveway, which makes me know that you probably don't go to church unless you're holding a church service in there or something, but I don't think so. So how about you pack up your brood and you come with us to church service on Easter Celebration Sunday, huh? Okay, sure. I mean, my, my wife and I were just talking about where we would go this Easter, so sure, we'll give your, your church a shot. Houston, we have a problem. What's the matter? No one's ever said yes to us before. Oh, oh what do we do? Well, we just back away slowly, oh, all right? Okay, okay, okay. okay. <laughs> don't look at him in the oh, eye. Oh, he could take away your soul. Okay, okay all um, right. Well, just leave the eggs in the mailbox. We sure will. Now, the big red one represents your sin. <laughs> it's the sin egg. All righty. <laughs> we hope to see you there. We'll save you a seat, okay? Really? No, that's just an intimidation tactic. <laughs> okay, toodles. <laughs> Yeah. No, I, I just a, a disclaimer. We in no way bear resemblance to any door knockers like that at Life Church. We that's not our modus operandi. But I just wanted to uh, kind of uh, share with you what not to do in this evangelistic season. And we really are in a series right now called Ionion, uh, which the words mean eternal. It's a Greek word. It means eternal, forever. And, you know, the thing is, I don't know about you, but when I connect with people, the, the thing that I want to do is that I want to just be interested in what you're all about. I mean, part of me was a reporter, and I find people's stories fascinating. It's something that God put in me. And so a lot of times, just out of habit and just curiosity, I'll say, where are you from? How are you doing? What, what's your story? Where, you know, what is it about you? And that's just something that God put in me because I was always curious. It helped me to break stories. It helped me to become a good reporter. But it was always a curiosity there. And I began to think, you know, you, you treasure things. that you, Those little nuggets about people. Everybody has something fascinating. How many of you understand that each one of us has a great story? And that you're all part of a greater story. And that story is the kingdom of Jesus Christ. The kingdom of Jesus Christ. Now, it's interesting that when I talk about the kingdom, uh, a lot of people have a misconception about what the kingdom of Jesus is. In fact, when I ask people, what's the gospel? When, when you're inviting someone to church or when you're, when you're talking to them about Jesus, what is the gospel? And, you know, this is true. And they'll say, well, it's, you know, having a personal relationship with Jesus, asking him to be your Lord and Savior. Very true. Rose again from the dead, which we're going to celebrate next week. Died on the cross for our sin. All true all true. But the gospel of Jesus Christ is also more than even that. The gospel is the kingdom is the gospel. You say, well, what, what does that mean? It means how many understand that we are going to operate in a kingdom? Not only is the kingdom coming, 
but His will is being done on earth as it is in heaven today. Anybody ever said the Lord's Prayer? You know, really, that was His prayer for you? Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Uh, Whether you like it or not, uh, and I hope that you do like it, is that we are eternal beings. And last week we talked about Ionion, meaning heaven and hell, meaning eternal. Which way, which place are we going to? Heaven and hell. One of the two options. You know, there's been a concerted effort we talked about last week to marginalize hell and to play like it doesn't exist. That is simply not true. And in fact, if you, if you, I don't have time to get into it today, but it's something that I think every believer needs once about every two years as a, a shot of Java into your veins to help you understand that we are going somewhere one place or the other. And I think people do need to understand if they have questions about hell, we do need to, 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 to operate in a way where, you know, we tell them the truth. Now, you don't go around saying turn or burn. You don't do what our friends do here, okay? Because the reality is the moment I start pointing my finger at you, I've got three coming right back at me. So I have to take a look at myself. And so my approach with people is to be interesting, you need to have an interest in people. How many know that Jesus was interesting? He was an interesting person. And he would ask questions a lot. Oftentimes he would ask questions that would lead into a conversation. And that's, that's, that's really the heart of the kingdom work is being interested in what God's kingdom and his principles are all about. Jesus operates in kingdom principles. I'll say this probably three or four times today. How many know that a kingdom is not a democracy? A kingdom is not a democracy. So when the king speaks, what do people do? And if they don't, what happens? Well, how many know that our king doesn't lop our heads off? He doesn't. But in a kingdom, when the king speaks, he he expects us to execute an order. Now, it's interesting. I talked about the gospel. The gospel, everything I said is true. All that's the gospel. But there's kingdom power that I think has marginalized. I think people in the kingdom have been marginalized because they've been bought a bill of goods. They've been sold a bill of goods, bought it hook, line, and sinker that they don't have power. How many understand we have power? We have power unlimited power through the grace of Jesus Christ. Grace is unmerited favor. The kingdom principle is so important to Jesus, do you realize he mentioned it 100 times in the New Testament? A lot more than he said the word church. Now, we are his church. How many understand that? We are the church. And in fact, many of these other churches here are part of a church, but they are part of God's church, the church. And it's important to understand that these churches, my heart, other, hurt, other churches' hearts, is to come together at some point and build God's kingdom. You know, I, I see this. Uh, it's, I talked to a pastor this week at a, at a larger church here in the area, and we had a conversation about, wouldn't it be just rocking to worship one night together, tear down the walls, and just worship the King of Kings? Would not that be cool? And guess what? I won't be insecure about losing my sheep and you won't be insecure about losing your sheep. And hey, we'll just hang out because the moment I start saying that you're my sheep and he's their sheep, you know how insecure and wrong that is? You're not mine to keep. I'm just here while you want to be here and I want to give you what you need to hear when he tells me to give it to you. Does that make sense? So wouldn't it be cool? And you know what? Okay, well, what about the denominational distinctives? Now I'm talking kingdom business here. What about the denominational... You know what? Lay them down for a day and let's worship the king. 
Preach your denominational distinctives. I don't care. I'm going to preach what we believe. You're going to preach what you believe. But what can we believe together? Jesus Christ crucified, rose again, unlimited compassion for his people and building a kingdom. Say kingdom. This is what it's all about. And you know what's interesting? I'm going to brag on some of the leaders, some other pastors in this area. I've talked to a number of them. In fact, I'm doing it on purpose because I want them to understand that if we let go of our agendas, we'll build God's agendas, and then your church will be filled because you're building people. And so I'm just sowing seeds to you. I'm saying it today because that's going to come to pass. At some point, God will open a door. We'll hang out. Maybe it's a Wednesday night, Friday night. I don't care. It can be a Sunday night, whatever. But I have zero fear about saying, hey, Life Church, let's take our 300 plus. Let's go over to this church and we'll just hang out that night. We'll worship Jesus. In fact, we were even talking about sharing the pulpits. I mean, is that not cool? Pastors in the same town? I, I just... Nobody does that, and that's a shame because we live in a kingdom. And so that's, the, that's the, the title of this message. We're in a series called Ionion, but we live in a kingdom. So Jesus talks about it a lot. Now, he started talking to his disciples about that, and, and they said, okay, well, what do you mean by kingdom? Great question. So we open with Luke 17, Luke chapter 17, and I'm going to read it out of the Amplified Bible. Verse 20, it says, Asked by the Pharisees when the kingdom of God would come... He, meaning Jesus, replied to them by saying, The kingdom of God does not come with signs to be observed or with visible display, nor will people say, Look, here it is, or see, it's there. For behold, the kingdom of God is within you, in your hearts, and among you, surrounding you. Here's a couple other things that I want to mention on Jesus in the kingdom. He compared it to a seed, a mustard seed, that was the smallest seed on earth, but when it bore fruit, was ginormous. He compared it to a treasure in a field where you sell everything for that that one treasure. He compared it to a pearl of great price. He said, we have keys to the kingdom. Here's the keys to my Cadillac. No, go drive it. Go bind this. Go loose that. Set the captives free. Pray over people. This is kingdom business. Lead them to me. The rules that apply in heaven, I want here, he's saying. And you know, it's not about church membership we ask, you know, we like the fact that we give people opportunity to join Life Church and to become a partner. Uh, that's our name for membership. But, you know, there's, there's only one king and there's only one kingdom and there's really only one church. There's only one church. And when we become a part of that bigger story, things happen. I'm going to lead you down a path today. God was really dealing with me on how to preach this because, you know, on the one hand, it's Palm Sunday, which I'm going to get to. On the other hand, I'm going to speak directly to you on this. Some of you are in some significant past ditches that you need resurrection from. And by the end of this message, you will have that resurrection. Can I get an amen? Because when you agree with me, guess what? Thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. There's freedom in heaven. If I want God's will to be done on earth as it is in heaven, if there's freedom in heaven, there's freedom on earth. And Jesus set people free. And that's part of the kingdom business. So the gospel is salvation for our eternal souls, no doubt. But the kingdom and what happens in the kingdom is the entire picture. So they asked him, the kingdom, it's within us. It's the Holy Spirit operating in us. But what is this kingdom all about? 
Well, Peter identified Jesus early in his ministry. He was one of the few. He came up, uh, there was a, the people were asking questions. Who's this Jesus? What is he doing? And, and, and Peter goes, I mean, he, Peter answers the question. Jesus says, who do you say that I am? And Peter says to him, you're the Christ, you're the Messiah. Well, no one had said that. They were all thinking it, but no one said it. He said it. The disciples began to get a picture of it. And so from that moment on, Jesus began to tell them about where he was headed, and that was to the cross. So from that moment on, the disciples began to hear it. But it's funny how we're all, we have selective hearing. We'll go to church service. We'll hear one part of the message. We won't hear the other. They began to hear kingdom, glory, power, ruling and reigning with Christ. They didn't really selectively hear the part about I'm going to suffer and die. And on the third day, I'm going to rise again because that sounded a little messy. I don't want that part of the cross. I just want the kingdom, the power and the glory forever and ever and ever again. Amen. So here we go with the triumphal entry. I'm setting the stage. At this time, this is what we celebrate as Palm Sunday. It's the week before Easter. What we're talking about Palm Sunday is Jesus' triumphal entry into that. Prior to his entry, Jesus really hadn't outed himself. He had only told a few people, his disciples and close ones. But as we go through this process, you're going to see more and more why Jesus chose this time to reveal his identity to the masses. So we pick it up in Mark chapter 11. Mark chapter 11, verse 1. As they approached Jerusalem and came to Bethpage and Bethany at the Mount of Olives, Jesus sent two of his disciples saying to them, go to the village ahead of you and just as you enter it, you will find a colt tied there, which no one has ever ridden. Untie it, bring it here. If anyone asks you why you're doing this, say the Lord needs it and we'll send it back here shortly. They went and found a colt outside in the street, tied at the doorway. As they untied it, some people standing there asked, what are you doing untying that colt? They answered as Jesus had told them to, and the people let them go. When they brought the colt to Jesus and threw their cloaks over it, he sat on it. I want you to remember the word cloaks. They threw their cloaks over it. He sat on it. Many people spread their cloaks on the road, while others spread branches they had cut in the fields. Those who went ahead and those who followed shouted, Hosanna, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Blessed is the coming kingdom of our father, David. Hosanna in the highest. You see, there's significance with the colt. The king gave an order. I need it. They said the Lord had, needs it, and they went and got it. But the reason the cult is significant is because in messianic prophecy, the Jews knew that their king would come on a, on a cult, just like David did years ago. And they knew that this was a fulfillment of the prophecy. So they began to, to stir in the people. They began to see the miracles, the signs, and the wonders. And you notice that as he's beginning to enter into Jerusalem, that he's not denying his identity to people. Prior to that, when he would cast out demons, if you read the scripture, he would cast out demons and he would say, shh. He would tell the demons to be quiet because it was not time for him to out himself who he was. God in the flesh come to take away the sins of the world. So he silenced him until it was time. Now it's time. So there's a significance in the cult. He was coming as a suffering servant. At this point, they were expecting a political ruler, just like David, to take care of Rome's oppression. They were, uh, they were under oppression, and they thought, this is the time, this is the place, and this is the man to give me what I need to get. What they didn't understand was that God wasn't just trying to get something for them. He was trying to get something in them. Let me say this again. God is trying to do something today, not just to get something for you, although he will. He's trying to get something done in you. They missed 
the messianic prophecies because they didn't understand. Some of them did, some of them didn't. But as we go through this narrative, you're going to see it more clearly. The significance of the cloaks. The cloaks represent deference. It's, It's saying, you're my king. You're going to come in on a white horse. In this case, it was a colt. Come in and you're going to take care of me. Hosanna in the highest. Thank you. Everybody's excited. Tremendous momentum. It'd be like a church that's growing leaps and bounds. And they're seeing all kinds of crazy stuff. Cool stuff. And Jesus is, 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 is embracing it at this point. But then the people shouting Hosanna, they're telling him that he's the king and he's receiving it. But it's important to note that many of these same people a week this, this Palm Sunday are saying, Hosanna, you're my king, would later be shouting, crucify him. The crowd is fickle. Many, and the disciples who knew who he was walked away in fear, afraid because maybe they had their doubts. And the the cool part of Scripture is, is that Jesus knows each and every one of us, knows every little doubt that we have. Jesus, are you really the same yesterday, today, and forever? In my circumstance, are you really the same yesterday? I know you resurrected Lazarus from the dead, but do you really care about my math exam? Jesus, I know that you, you healed people constantly, but do you really care about my emotional bondages? Do you know that there's a resounding yes to that answer? Jesus cares about every detail. But they were saying, Lord, you're my Lord. But what you're going to have to understand is they took their cloaks back. They put down their cloaks, but when the chips were down, they took their cloaks back. Anybody done that before? Anybody taken their cloaks back? So in so many ways, so many ways, the people who could see Jesus at that time were blind to what he came to do. Now, what's cool is that it took a blind man to see And so we back up in the narrative. Literally, the chapter before the triumphal entry, in the Gospel of Mark, you read about blind Bartimaeus. It's the very last thing as he goes into the triumphal entry. So here we have these people who could see but were blind, and we have a blind man who's about to see. So I want to back up to Mark chapter 10. And really, I was going to preach a little bit more on Palm Sunday, but the Lord kind of gave me a course correction and, and he said to me really in, internally, the entire kingdom principle, the entire principle is revealed in the healing of blind Bartimaeus. You'll see it. Say, I agree, Pastor Ryan. Okay. Mark chapter 10, verse 46. Then they came to Jericho, they being Jesus and his disciples. As his disciples that gathered together with a large crowd were leaving the city, a blind man, Bartimaeus, which means son of Timaeus, was sitting by the roadside begging. When he heard that it was Jesus of Nazareth, he began to shout, Jesus, son of David, have mercy on me. Key point here, he said, son of David. Bartimaeus saying that means that he recognized that Jesus was Messiah. He recognized that Jesus was who he says he was. And what was interesting is, is in that moment, he had probably heard about Jesus and his fame for quite some time. But you have to understand, picture large crowds. He's screaming, screaming, Jesus, son of David, have mercy on me. We move on to the next verse. 
And the first lesson of Bartimaeus that we have to learn is it is come to Jesus. He, the first thing that you have to understand when all else fails, Jesus never did and he never does. And he began to see that Jesus could heal him. And so in the very next verse, after he said, Jesus, son of David, have mercy on me. It says in verse 48, and this is key, many rebuked him and told him to be quiet, but he shouted, all the more. Son of David, have mercy on me. Friends, I want to tell you, every time you're going for a breakthrough, you're going to have 50 voice vultures telling you, you will not, you cannot, God didn't, and he won't. And you tell them to shut their mouth. Because your father promises it in this word, you receive it. I can't tell you, I, I can't tell you how many times I've faced those situations where people said it can't be done, it can't be done. And you know who the worst voice vulture is? Me. You can't do it. This workout's tough. Can't build a church. No one will follow. You don't know what you're doing. And then the enemy will strategically send someone just along or just the opportune time to reinforce what you've already said about yourself. We are our own worst voice vultures. But notice what, but this, I love this. So Bartimaeus is saying, you know what? I've been a beggar here for years. I've been sitting here, cloak off, been sitting here. Give me coins, give me coins, give me coins. This is his identity. Do you realize the cloak is his identity? The cloak, this cloak, if this represents a cloak, this was his identity. He's saying, I'm a beggar. This is all I do. This is all I will ever be. But now he's heard about Jesus and he's thinking, man, I got a shot at this thing. I got one shot. Some of you need to run to Jesus so fast until it hurts. You need to go to him. Like manana. And by the way, create a stir and don't give a flip about what anyone says about you. You run to Jesus. Well, what if they think I'm a holy roller? Tough. You want your breakthrough? Deal with it. Get over your ego and run to Jesus. Say, Son of David, have mercy on me and acknowledge he's the Messiah. Acknowledge him. Jesus said, if you acknowledge me before men, you will, I will acknowledge you before myself. This is some tough preaching, guys, but this is going to break through. This is for your breakthroughs. Many rebuked him. Many rebuked Bartimaeus. He saw his need. Interesting that he saw his need. Now, here we go on to the next verse. And by the way, it was the religious people of the day. It was the religious people that said, mm. the Sadducees was the sect of religious people that they didn't believe in resurrection. They certainly didn't believe in the supernatural. They tended to skew way over to this other side that said, if I can't reason it, I won't believe it. Does that sound familiar at all? I've heard that somewhere before. Did God really say that? Can we really say that? Can we really say that God wants to heal today? Can we really say that he wants to empower you today? Can we really say that? Good question. We can say that. So here we are, verse 49. He's created a ruckus. Verse 49, Jesus stopped. Stopped. Jesus, with the masses of people, stopped and he said call him now he's got the lord's attention how many of you have heard when jesus says ask seek and knock he means to do just that but we quit because somebody said something to hurt our feelings and we won't press on 
to the master. Because the child, well, I'm not going to go to the church because they've hurt me. You know that 98%, probably 100% of the people that sit in church have been hurt by people in the church. Not an excuse. The Pharisees were telling him, shut up, don't talk, don't come. And he's saying, I want my miracle. He pressed through the religiosity of the day. Folks, you face the same battle. Religion kills. Relationship with Jesus brings life. Religion will shut you down and say, you can't have that. And what Jesus says is that I'm everything you need. Come to me. Blind Bartimaeus got the truth. He understood exactly who Jesus was and saw him for who he was. So they called to the blind man. Now, here's what's interesting. They called to the blind man, cheer up on your feet. He's calling you. Do you see how the crowd is now flipped? Well, now they have momentum. Wow, wow, that's really cool. Man, things are happening. You mean, oh, okay, this blind man, he got, he, he's about to get his healing now. I can see Jesus wants to heal him, but he won't heal me. I've got emotional problems. I know about the other 50 people that I've heard about. Here's the thing. Blind Bartimaeus had a condition, and he had a choice. He could stay in this position the rest of his life or could say, I'm sick and tired of sick being sick and tired. I'm going to get up and I'm going to go to the master. Are you getting this point? Go to Jesus. And by the way, you can go straight to the master. I don't have to pray over you to get healed, delivered, set free, or have any... The very word of God can set you free. Make a decision today and you are free. And if the Son sets you free, you are free indeed. Just receive it. And here's what Bartimaeus did. He didn't stay stuck in the cloak. Throw me some. Here's a, here's a few. Here's a few coins, Bartimaeus. He's been used to that his whole life. He said, I'm, I'm done with that. I'm going to throw my cloak down. I'm going to throw my cloak down. By the way, that was uh, not a cheap cloak. <laughs> Verse 50, throwing his cloak aside, he jumped to his feet and came to Jesus. Third kingdom lesson of Bartimaeus, let your cloaks go. Say, let your cloaks go. Let my people go. Let my really nice jacket go. Pray that there's no dust on it. I just got it. <laughs> there's a point here. There's a point. When we let our cloaks go, resurrection power comes. I've been living in my mental bondages for years. In fact, I've dug this ditch so deep, this emotional bondage, this is my identity. Well, Ryan, you've always been a drunk. You'll always be a drunk and you'll always think like a drunk. Well, you know what? I bought that lie for many, many years. And then one day, Jesus. One day, Jesus. One day that I said, you know, I'm sick and tired of being sick and tired. I'll throw my cloak down because there's a king coming who's coming through on Palm Sunday who's going to set me free. There's a king coming. And then as the, the healing began in me 14, 15 years ago, then I saw some other, this blind man who was blind to his addictions and all of a sudden got free from his addictions. Then all of a sudden he began to see all the emotional issues that he had when he would trigger at the drop of a hat. If you said one wounding word, it would crater me for 15 days in all the peripheral things. But when you get sick and tired of being sick and tired, you throw your cloaks down and you go to Jesus. And you notice Bartimaeus owned it for himself. 
He had people saying, don't do it. You're not cool. <laughs> it's not trendy. It's not hip. But then the masses, when he's in the masses, all of a sudden, he's hearing stuff and he's saying, you know, this is my defining moment. This is the time. This is the place. Run, Bartimaeus. Run for your life because these people will talk you into death. They will talk you into being a beggar for the rest of your natural life. Folks, you are not beggars. Do you realize what I said earlier applies? You are the head. You are not the tail. We are to lead people to the Messiah, His true identity. The healer, the same yesterday, today, and forever. And when we understand how good Jesus is, do you realize the kind of pain that he suffered on that cross? He didn't do it just to be a fable on Easter. Unfailing love. And it takes our part to believe he is who he says he is. Many times Jesus said when he was asked, Lord, you can heal me if you're willing to. You can make me clean. He said, I'm willing. See, Jesus went around healing all who were oppressed of the devil. If you are oppressed of the devil, throw your cloaks down and go to Jesus. Throw them down. Verse 52, go, said Jesus. Your faith has healed you. Actually, I skipped ahead. Go to verse 51. What do you want to do for me? What do you want me to do for you? Jesus asked him. The blind man said, Rabbi, I want to see. You notice that Bartimaeus, when he is, he's up and he ran to Jesus, can you imagine this blind guy? I mean, he's, I mean, think about that. He had fears. You have fears. There's, there's a cost to going after Christ. It's not always fun. It's not always trendy, but doing kingdom work is scary. My wife is the best at inviting people to church. She's 50 times better than me. She presses through. I press through. Is there anybody here who doesn't feel fear? So Bartimaeus had to have felt fear when he had those bondages. He had to have felt like, golly, I could get trampled on. Uh, the crowd, you know, now they're starting to cheer me on, so now they'll let me through. But do you realize to get from A to B, the crowd flipped when Bartimaeus was resolved to say, I don't care, come, you know what, I'm doing this. I'm going to Jesus. Some of you need some passion in your life. You're looking... You're, you're looking for something. You think that, okay, this will fix me. This product will fix me. This other thing will fix me. This other church will fix me. Pastor Ryan will fix me. None of us have that power. The only power, you need to go to Jesus and throw down your cloaks. Throw it down. Throw down the cloaks. So verse 52, here's what Jesus said. Go, your faith has healed you. Immediately he received his sight and followed Jesus along the road. That last part is key. It says that he followed Jesus along the road. Other translation says he followed along the way. He didn't say, hey, thanks, Jesus. Great for getting me out of this jam. Check you later. It says he followed Jesus along the way. When you're passionate about what God has done for you, you don't care. You really don't care what the crowd says anymore. You will stand up and lead, and you will lead people to the master. I want to be the guy that's cheering someone on saying, hey, Jesus is calling you. Go. I don't want to be the guy that says, well, 38.7% of the American population doesn't get their healing. And, you know, Hello? I don't want to be the guy that's explaining away everything. If you say, well, Ryan, I don't know if I believe in all that faith stuff. I didn't write the book. It says, without faith, it's impossible to please God. 
So really, what choice do we have? We can stay stuck with our cloaks down. I feel like I'm preaching really rough to you guys today. But this is just, you need this. It's like a lobotomy, you know, you just, or an enema, you know, where, well. Throw the cloaks down. I'm going to pick up my suit now. Dust that sucker off. Yeah, anyway. Dramatic illustration there. Praise God for dry cleaning. So, so here's Bartimaeus. Here's, here's the focal point of the message. What we've seen in operation here is kingdom power. Why did I focus on Bartimaeus more than the triumphal entry? Here's why. Because in that story, we see Jesus in the fullness of the gospel. See, the gospel isn't just getting us to the sweet by and by. It's establishing his kingdom on earth as it is in heaven. What do you think that did for Bartimaeus' friends who saw him get delivered, set free, and healed? Same thing. They began, it was contagious. They began to see that, that Jesus was who he says he was. Now, you can't have the power without going to the cross. Jesus established that. So many of us, we want the, like the crowd, we want to say, Hosanna, Hosanna, and we'll throw our cloaks down. But when the chips are down, we take it back. What Bartimaeus did, you notice it doesn't say in Scripture that he went and took his cloak back. And this is the tragedy that I see as I close this message. This is the tragedy that I see in the, in the American church. When I, when I went to Mexico, I mean, I preached for two hours. They're translating, they're translating words. And I'm thinking, man, they're hanging on every word. And then I go to the, I, I, you know, I went to San Antonio. Actually, it was a, it was a very good time. And, and they did receive some stuff. But there's a spirit there, guys. Let me tell you, I'm not... I'm not going to bow to that intellectual spirit that tries to talk me out of every supernatural thing. Because if you listen to that spirit over and over and over again, it'll just feed you and you'll never throw that cloak down, ever. Jesus doesn't heal today. Well, you don't really need faith. Let me tell you, without faith, it's impossible to please God. Without faith, it isn't. Well, I don't, I've heard a lot of bad things about faith. Play it again, brother. Hit me. Now, I'm not saying that you do wacky things, but I am saying you have to respond in faith. There was corresponding action to Bartimaeus. He saw that the king was coming. It was the triumphal entry time. He saw the king. You can continue to... I like the little tunes there. Just soft. Yeah. So he saw the king. He saw who the king was. And he saw it when he was blind. But one thing that Bartimaeus understood is he understood his condition. Here's my question to you. Are you so prideful that you don't see your condition? Every single one of us wrestles with it. Pride is an insidious thing. It will rob you of so many blessings. It will rob you of saying, I'm sorry. It will rob you of your dignity. I've watched people just to be right literally divide families because I have to be right. I've seen people do unbelievably ridiculous things because they simply don't run to Jesus. They're good people. They do great things. But do they know who the master is and the plan? Because when the king speaks... You have a choice. But the king 
operates in a kingdom. We don't take a vote when the king says, go and do. So, so many of us want deliverances and bondages to be, to be, to be resurrected off of us, to, to, to get off of us. But are we willing to go to the cross and say, I've got pride and I need to let it die? Because I will tell you, friends, that is the, where the rubber meets the road. Is, I, I truly hate saying two words. I hate saying, I'm sorry. Hate it. Would rather not go there. But when I do that, when I forgive someone, boom, all of a sudden, the grace of Jesus floods me. Because there's something in the Bible that I read, something about Jesus saying that if you forgive others, then I will forgive you. Something about that. Forgiveness is huge. Pride is huge. But what I love about Bartimaeus, he had nothing to lose. Here's what I'm challenging you to see about kingdom life. You have absolutely nothing to lose. I don't care how self-sufficient you are. I don't care how rich you are. I don't care how well put together you are. Because you know what? At some point, there is a point of need where you are just like blind Bartimaeus. And you need to see your condition. Our condition is one of dependence. It's not an awful thing. It's the pathway to supernatural. When I say, Jesus, I can't, you can. And I'm going to give you my cloak. So here's what I want to do. You've got a card that has a prayer request in your bulletin. You have a card in your bulletin. It's where the prayer request things. If you have a pen, here's what I want you to do. Pastor Mary has put this bucket underneath that cross. This is going to be an exercise in dealing with pride. In fact, I need to... Pastor Mary, do you have a pen? I got one that just came to me. Here's what I want, here's what I want you to do. I want you to identify where that cloak is, where your identity... That you have, Some of you have bought lies about who you are. You don't know who you are in Christ. You've been told by family or people or places or jobs or other critics or whoever that this is who you are. Here's what I want you to do. I want you to write the lie. I want you to write the lie on a piece of paper. Well, I've been told that I've been given a life commandment that I'll never grow up to be much. I heard that my daddy said that, my mama said that, or whatever that lie is. You know what that lie is. Only you know. I want you to write that lie down. And what you do, when you take it over there, I'm going to ask you to do that. I want you to drop it in that bucket. You're giving it, you're putting it to the cross. And you're saying, this is, this is where I've missed it. See, Bartimaeus, you can't blame him for being blind, but you can blame him for staying in the condition that he was in without running to Jesus. Hello? So take, take the... Whatever it is, take, take that thing and you put it into that bucket right now.